biblically, what does true forgiveness look like? Because we all have our ways that we've been handling conflict, haven't we? Growing up in our families, the ways we dealt with conflict with our friends, conflict at church, conflict at work. And oftentimes it's very accepted in our culture, the ways in which we deal with it, though it's completely unhealthy. And Don Wright gets the ways that God has commended for his children. If you guys watch hockey at all, or if you've ever been to a hockey game or watched a hockey game, there's a strange moment where <laughs> two hockey players drop their gloves, they start circling around each other, put their hands up, and they start having a fist fight. And the refs are just watching. It's a really weird thing. And it's just accepted in the, in the NHL that you can do that. You can have a fight, a fist fight, it won't count as assault and battery. Just duke it out. Now go to your penalty boxes and come back when you're ready. <laughs> it's a really strange and accepted norm. And, and, and here's the thing, I, I feel like oftentimes here in our society, in our culture, it's accepted. You can have fights, you can have conflict, and, and handle it however you want. Forget what God says. Forget what God's law says regarding that. Well, today we're going to look at what is number two big questions I'm going to ask us is, as we look at these texts, is what does true forgiveness look like, and how is true forgiveness possible? What does true forgiveness look like, and how is true forgiveness possible? For our passage today, Genesis 45, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. I want to point something out here. Joseph cannot control himself. All the emotions were right here this whole time. For 22 years, it's right there. <coughs> you know, there's a common saying in our culture, time heals all wounds. It's not true. Time does not heal all wounds. God heals all wounds as we follow his ways. Time does not heal all wounds. God heals all wounds as we follow his ways. To get that full restoration, that full healing, is that this conflict had to be resolved. They had to come together and be reconciled. It was there that as he walks, as they walk in God's ways, that full healing will come. So time does not heal all wounds. God heals all wounds as we walk in his ways. I want to point something out too. If you've ever been in conflict, you know this. Conflict messes with our mind, but unresolved conflict messes with our heart. Is that the truth? Conflict in the moment, you're cheated, angry, whatever. Messages with your mind, you can't sleep at night, but unresolved conflict, the longer you let it go, the root of bitterness settles in, and it messes with your heart. That's why, church, do not let unresolved conflict go unresolved. It's going to mess with your heart deep down inside who you are and how you go through life. What does it say? It says, make everyone go out from me. Make everyone go out from me. What it, this, is, this is such a, a practical thing and a loving thing. Joseph, he, he, what does he do? He seeks to shield his offenders from shame. 
Because all these Egyptian uh, royal court officials are right there. And, and he could have he been like, these guys, these guys are the worst. You know what they did to me? Then he could have brought them out to like, out in the open in the Egyptian public. Like, these guys are horrible. This is what they did to me, your beloved Joseph. His Egyptian name at that time was Zephanath-Panam. This is what they did to Zephanath-Panam. Or in our modern context, you could have put them on blast on social media. These guys are horrible. Here's what they did. But he doesn't do that. He makes everyone go out from him. He shields his offenders from shame. It's who Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. You and him alone. And if he repents, you have gained your brother. You have won your brother over again. The relationship is restored. This is exactly how he does it. Verse 2. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer, for they were dismayed at his presence. I wish I could have been there to see their faces. You know, I, I think it would have been just a, an amazing moment, almost comedic, to see their, they literally cannot believe the brother that they sold off into slavery, they thought might have been dead by now, surely was not the second in power of all of Egypt. They were completely fearful, they were just terrified, for their lives, they don't even know what to say. They're dismayed at his presence. This is this is worse than their initial problem, right? <laughs> this is way worse because all of a sudden, not not only are they before the second uh, in power in all of Egypt, and, and they thought you know they stole the cup, and so Benjamin was going to have to deal with stay in Egypt, but now the second in power of Egypt, whom they tried to kill, has the authority to kill them all right now. No one else is in the room. Even worse. By the way, if you're racked with guilt about something you've done against someone, it can ruin all the good that you have in your life. It really can. There's a proverb that says, wicked flee when no one is chasing them. <laughs> Some people like to say, that's my old job, no one's chasing them. <laughs> The wicked flee when no one is chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's exactly the case with you. They're, they're terrified. They, they, they know what they've done. They don't know what's going to happen next. And they're this guilty conscience. Well, how do I get out of this room? But the righteous that is Joseph here is bold as a lion. It's like, I am Joseph. Where's is my father still alive? Verses 4 through 11. This is Joseph. He begins a speech. And right here we see what true forgiveness looks like. True forgiveness, what it looks like. <clears throat> Number one, it restores fellowship. Restores fellowship. It seeks to restore, right? You can, you can only do so much, right? Paul the Apostle says, live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Meaning the other party might not want peace, but you try. So you seek to restore the fellowship. Look at verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. They came near and he said to them, I and your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. By the way, he doesn't, he doesn't say, you know what, it wasn't that bad. No, he calls it for what it is. It was sin. It was evil. You sold me, your brother, into Egypt. But I forgive you. Come near. Come near. He seeks to restore that intimacy that they once had under the same roof as brothers with the same father. Child of God, is this not 
or we are called to do as well. It seeks to restore the fellowship. Secondly, it seeks to relieve the shame. It seeks to relieve the shame. Look at verse 5, the first half. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. They're feeling so much shame. He, he knows that. They're going to be so angry. With Look at what we did. This is now we're in trouble. We're about to die. And they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. That's, that's the feeling of shame. Aware of your guilt and aware that you deserve judgment. But Joseph says, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be distressed. I'm not going to retaliate. It's time. I forgive you. Seeks to relieve the shame. Thirdly, it responds with blessing. Second half of verse 5. God has sent me here to preserve life. It responds with blessing. Not only does he say, I forgive you of the sin, and you come nearer to me. He points them to God. Their eyes are on their sin. Their eyes are on the chamber. So get your eyes on God. I want to bless you. I'm here to save your life. Whatever you need, I'm here to help you with. That's what you forgive us today. Seeks to restore the fellowship. Seeks to relieve the shame. And responds with blessing. Seeks to restore the fellowship. Seeks to relieve the shame. Seeks to respond with blessing. This is exactly what Joseph does. This is exactly what we are called to. And so the question is, the second question that I, that I want us to ask is, how is this true forgiveness possible? Because we're looking at Joseph and going, how did he do that? 22 years of insane suffering. Insane suffering. How? How did he do this? Well, eventually what happens is that, you know, after, after this, you know, they, they hug, they're crying, they're restored, they're talking again, and, and, and Joseph says, look, I'll take care of you guys, so on and so forth, and, and go get my father, and indeed, that's exactly what happens. That's exactly the, the, the father, Jacob, he comes, and, and, and they spent 17 years together, restored as a family. What's interesting is that Joseph, he was sold off as a slave when he was 17. And then, now... Joseph, as a grown adult, second in power of all of Egypt, that prime minister, he gets to spend 17 years with his family again until Jacob dies. Those of us who have old and aging parents know what that's like. They spend your, your whole adolescence and teenagers taking care of you, and then it becomes your turn as they get old to take care of them. Jacob, or Joseph, gets that chance here with Jacob. And so, right before Jacob dies, in, in in chapter 49, we don't have that up here, um, Jacob says a blessing upon Joseph. And here we get insight as to how Joseph does this true forgiveness. He says this about Joseph as he's saying a blessing on him before he dies. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bow, that is a branch, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms remained agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is a shepherd, the stone of Israel. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring, or a well. Usually they go together to build a well by a spring for the groundwater. Joseph was able to do this because there was living water that was giving him strength. 
And what's interesting is that the spring and a well, the water where that comes from, is from the rain from up on high, and it descends down. And there, it gathers and collects and overflows. That's exactly what Joseph had to do for 22 years, is that the, 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 the blessing, the strength of God, the grace of God, remember, it, it kept saying that God was with him, God was with him, God was with him. He got prospered and blessed. And that's exactly how Joseph was able to do this. He kept drawing strength from God. That's exactly what Jacob says. It comes from God. And so we're about to see specifically what about God was it that Joseph was drawing from. So if you'll allow me to just to have a, have a, have a picture, it's, there's a theological well that we need to draw from. A theological well to draw from in order to give this true forgiveness. We cannot do this on our own. We, we cannot. We've tried it. It's not enough to just go, I gotta forgive, I gotta forgive, I gotta forgive. It doesn't work. You and I know that. What we need to do is we need to draw from this theological well, these three buckets of truth, if you will, and that we will have the strength and the power and the spiritual resources to actually give true forgiveness in the way that Joseph just did. So we have up here, in Genesis chapter 50, the, the, you know, the, the closing, closing passages here of what he does. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. <laughs> so they sent the message, like, dad's dead. Okay, that's probably why he was nice to us. Um, so they sent the message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. The believe that the brothers still didn't trust Joseph's forgiveness. 17 years later, they didn't trust him. And so they're scheming to try to get this forgiveness. It's most likely it's kind of implied that it's a fake story that they're making up. And Joseph's right through, that's why he weeps. You still don't believe me? Hello, anyone. Child of God, how many of us are not resting in the forgiveness of how many of us are scheming to try to earn God's love or rather scheming to try to earn the approval of this world to try to cover up the shame rather than resting in and living from the forgiveness of Christ at the cross Joseph wept and I'm sure this grieves the spirit when we don't rest in his forgiveness. And we're about to see here, right here, in this, in this really brief speech that Joseph gives here, the three jars of water that we need from this theological well of who God is. Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? First jar, we need to trust in God's place. Not my place. There's one judge's chair, and I'm not sitting in one. Do you believe that there is one judge's seat, and it doesn't belong to you or me? This is the fundamental problem with all the sin, is it not? We've decided, I'm going to take God's place. All the way back in Judges chapter 3, in the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what the serpent tempted Eve with, and Adam was with her. Eat of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you do it, you shall be like 
since then, every single person, and we all included, have been doing that. We decide what's best for our lives. And as a result, we get into so much messes, and, and, and we mess up our lives, and we're restless, and we got more and more scars to prove it from self-inflicted wounds. And all of society does that too. Every society since then has been doing that. They're saying, we're going to take God's place. We know better, but we're going to twist what's good and evil, and we're going to figure out what the path to the good life in this world is. And it leads to further and further spiritual decay. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. Specifically when it comes to relational conflict, what we're looking at here, we tend to, when, when, we, when we feel the sting of pain from someone, what they've done to us or what they've said to us, our instinct is, I'm going to react in the way that I feel is best. Because I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, and I'm going to react. I'm going to bottle up or blow up. I'm going to burn bridges or burn them back. Speaking of sports, you know, um, in baseball, when the pitcher intentionally sometimes hits the batter, when it's the other team's turn, there's an unwritten rule that now this pitcher can hit one of their players. And they decide in their own way, here's, here's how we're going to get vengeance. And similar that's with us, right? We take God's seat. I'm going to decide what needs to happen. They hurt me, I will hurt them. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, God says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay it. In other words, he's saying, Get out of my seat. What are you doing? Vengeance is mine. Don't take my place. I know how to teach them a lesson better than you can. In the perfect way, in the perfect amount, and at the perfect timing. So get out of my seat. That's my place. So, first theological. Bucket that we need. We need to know God's place. Secondly, we need to know God's purpose. God's purpose. Look at verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God's purpose. He's saying here, look, no matter what, all the evil that people have committed against me, all that you guys have done against me, and a lot of horrible things, but even tried to kill him, sold him off as a slave. Did everything to forget him. Told lies about him. All the evil that they committed against him, he says that God actually allowed it. He didn't work despite that. He worked through that. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. This means, child of God, that if you have attached yourself to Christ, Romans chapter 8, 28 says this, it promises this, that all things, God uses all things, everything you go through, even the evil that is committed against you, all those things are used for good, for all those who love God and are called according to His purpose, every single thing, all of it. Now, let's just be honest, that that takes faith, right? Because when when someone offends you, all you feel is that, is that sting of pain, what they did to you, what they said to you, it hurts. And it's easy to just see that and to sit in that pain, to either stew in it in self-pity and pride, or try to figure out a way to get them back, to strike back. But it takes faith to go, you know what, I, I, 
yes, that hurt, that was evil. Joseph acknowledges it was evil. But he says, but God meant it for good. I'm going to trust that God allowed that for a reason. Even though I don't see that, it takes faith. And that's why the Christian is able to draw from this law that the atheist cannot. This is why the Christian can have a mysterious peace and a gracious humility about them in the face of evil done against them. Whereas the atheist does not have, cannot draw from them. Why? Because the atheists have to come up with a good ending themselves. Because no one else will do it for them. But the Christian has this wealth to draw from that says God needs it for good. And that's why I don't need to take matters to bones. I don't need to bring about a good ending for myself. God's going to do that. I'm not taking this place. God has a good purpose. Do you see? So God's place, God's purpose, and lastly, God's provision. Look at verse 21. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph, he was taken to Egypt as a slave, but literally with nothing but the clothes on his back and shackles on his hands and, and on his feet. That's all he had. And then by God's grace, God came to bless him. God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. God was blessing. God was blessing. God was blessing. All the way until he has more than he knows what to do with. As a prime minister of Egypt. And out of that, he decides, I'm going to use what God has blessed me with to bless others. Namely, the ones that wronged him. That which God provided me, I will provide for you. And your family. To which we go, well, that's not me. I, I didn't become prime minister of Egypt. You know. To which I say, you're right. Yours is even better. Yours is even more profound. You and I were slaves to sin. You and I were slaves to, to idols. You and I were slaves to fear and death. You and I were slaves to the destination of the pit of hell. And yet Jesus Christ decided to become shackled, to be taken to prison, to be executed in our place, so that, so that you and I will receive total forgiveness, complete reconciliation, and the full adoption as children of God, of the King of Kings and the eternal kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. So if that's true, child of God, what God has provided you is way more profound than what Joseph saw immediately. And that's what God has provided you. And thus, the Lord commands his children to turn to your brother and sister who has wronged you and to forgive them as he forgave you. This is what it says in Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. I just want to end with this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If God has provided you that, holy and beloved ones, you also must provide this grace to those who offend you, to those who hurt you to those who disappoint you, to those who frustrate you. You also must forget, because God has forgiven you. So let's 
So what does this forgiveness look like? We saw right there in Joseph's two speeches. He restores the fellowship. He relieves the shame. And he responds with blessing. How did he do that? He went to that theological well time and time again for 22 years, taking these buckets of water out. These buckets of water from this theological well. He remembers God's place. It's not his place. One judge is seen. And he remembers God's purpose. When you meant for evil, God meant for good. And the last thing, he remembers God's provision. When I was a slave, God blessed me, set me free, exalted me. And thus, I will extend that very grace to you. I remember God's place, God's purpose, and God's provision. To the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we don't, we don't want to pretend as if everything's okay. We don't want to live with unresolved conflict that is messing with our hearts. Lord, we want to extend that true forgiveness that can only come about as we draw from this theological well of your place, your purpose, and your provision that is ultimately revealed in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us, to completely forgive us and to reconcile us and adopt us into the kingdom of heaven. And you call us now then to turn to one another and to forgive one another as you in Christ forgave us. And this will be a telltale sign that we believe. We believe the gospel. It has so filled our hearts, this living water, and it overflows. God, uproot that root of bitterness that is causing so much trouble and defilement in our lives. Fill us again with your grace by the power of your Holy Spirit as we look to you by faith and trust in your place, your purpose, 